welcome to the Healthcare Real Estate Advisor Podcast. I'm Joel Swider, an attorney with Hall Render, the largest healthcare-focused law firm in the country. Our guest today is Neil Eicher, who is Vice President of Government Affairs with the New Jersey Hospital Association. We're going to be discussing legislation that was recently signed into law to restore property tax exemptions for nonprofit hospitals in New Jersey, but which also requires nonprofit hospitals to pay certain community service contribution payments, which we'll get into in more detail. Neil, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you, Joel. Thank you for having me. And um, you guys do great work on this issue. So I appreciate being a part of it. Well, thanks, Neil. Um, So before we can understand and appreciate the text of the bill itself that was recently signed into law, I think it would be helpful to explore some brief background of hospital tax exemptions in New Jersey. Um, I think that there's really a broader applicability here in other states where we've seen the gradual chipping away of property tax exemptions for nonprofit hospitals. And so I think the process is in some ways just as important as the result, particularly for those who are looking at this case and who've been watching it as we have from other states, um, looking to see what that's going to look like in New Jersey in the future and how it might be translated or mistranslated in other states and in other contexts. So Neil, could you give us a little bit of uh, a lay of the land? What did the landscape look like pre Morristown, which was the, the, the case that really sort of, um, you know, brought this issue to a head in 2015? Yeah, sure thing. So uh, the Morristown Memorial Hospital tax court decision was a pivotal moment for the industry. Uh, As you said, in summer of 2015, it's this sort of unexpected ruling um, from one tax court judge in New Jersey um, challenging Morristown's um, property tax exemption. Uh, Now, they they had been in litigation for almost 10 years with the town uh, that included, you know, multiple mayors uh, moving in and moving out even a a change in administration at the hospital level. Um, So it did kind of predate when the decision was actually uh, made, Um, but the judge in that ruling, um, as I said, stated that they, Morristown, you know, should be uh, paying uh, property taxes. Um, It wasn't precedential, you know, um, but it was certainly influential. Um, And then it resulted in uh, NJHA as the advocacy wing um, to start pushing for a legislative solution um, because the judge did actually make that statement uh, in his court uh, uh, decision was that although they should be paying uh, property taxes, the legislature needs to step in. And it's interesting because um, our statute on uh, tax exemption, property tax exemption goes back, I want to say 70 or 80, 70 or 80 years. Um, and in that exemption, um, there was no carve out for for-profit medical providers within a nonprofit hospital. So um, while we disagreed with the ruling um, for a variety of reasons, uh, the fact that the judge said we need to step in and get a legislative solution is what uh, changed the landscape for us. Okay. So what did happen after the Morristown Medical Center case? What has happened sort of bring us up to this current bill that was passed last month and signed um, what's been happening in the intervening years? I know you guys have been working at this for a long time. Yeah, so uh, after the decision was rendered, um, we knew we had six months or so um, until the end of our legislative session to pass a bill. And again, this is in 2015. So we did pass a piece of legislation very similar uh, to what has been signed into law <laughs> six years later. Uh, but it, unfortunately, it was vetoed by the governor at the time. 
um, and what we were afraid of and what actually happened uh, was with the beginning of the tax year um, in 2016, we saw a flurry of litigation. Um, in some cases, it's the town putting the, the hospital on the tax rolls and it's the hospital that initiated the litigation. Sometimes it was you know, the reverse. Um, we had to deal with um, omitted assessments, which is um, just a clever way of kind of looking back at retroactive tax, tax years up to two years um, prior to put um, entities back on the tax roll. Um, and then I think when we were all said and done, uh, we probably had 40 to 42 of our uh, 59 nonprofit hospitals engaged in litigation. Now, um, I should note that some of them settled. Uh, they had agreements uh, with their towns. Ironically enough, uh, many of those agreements were similar to the community contribution fees in this, in this law, um, but they had expiration dates. Other hospitals were just involved in you know, litigation, and then some other hospitals didn't see any lawsuits at all. So then leading up to, you mentioned, you know, there have been other attempts over the years. Leading up to the, the, the current bill that was finally passed and signed, even that, once it was introduced in January 2020, took over 13 months until it was finally signed. Was there um, more, more give and take um, at the you know, this time around as well? Yes, absolutely. Um, it was a uh, very arduous legislative process. We're happy with the result. Um, so we can kind of look back at it and, and, and figure out what worked and what didn't. You know, what started, you know, having the speaker of our General Assembly as the prime sponsor, the only sponsors, you know, five or six bills in a session, that was a positive, you know, signal. Um, and also getting our Senate president and governor on board early, at least conceptually, was important. Uh, what uh, happened in practicality is as the bill started to move, um, we started to hear, or the legislators started to hear from very influential mayors um, who had problems with what this bill might mean for them, um, at least according to what their tax assessor told them, you know, what they uh, could get out of the hospital if there were, you know, if there was full uh, property taxation on the facility. So we did a lot of um, kind of behind the scenes work uh, with local mayors, local hospitals, tried to resolve very territorial type of issues, um, but it actually worked um, as a benefit because what we were seeing was the uh, creation of an adversarial relationship between the towns and the hospitals that didn't exist prior uh, to this tax court decision. Um, and having this discussion, you know, kind of helps smooth that, smooth that over. So um, some of the amendments in the law um, dealt with, for example, locking in or grandfathering in current agreements that are in place between a town and a hospital. Um, that would be the floor um, if the legislation or I guess the law will say if it has to be greater, um, the hospitals on the obligation is obligated to pay more. Um, but that took that took care of a couple of towns. Um, we made some changes to um, the offsite for-profit medical providers, made it very crystal clear um, that the medical provider had to be exclusively working with the hospital for a hospital purpose. Um, that was an issue from some legislators uh, previously thinking that um, hospital, nonprofit hospitals would all of a sudden purchase a bunch of for-profit medical provider buildings take them from taxpaying entities to non-taxpaying entities. That was not the way we read it. And it's obviously was not our intention, um, but we needed to, to make uh, necessary changes. 
And then the last thing I'll say, Joel, is um, you might may have noticed if you followed this at all, we, we went from $2.50 per bed per day contribution to the town to $3 per bed um, uh, per day contribution. That was because the governor's office wanted to get uh, a little bit uh, of a higher rate from hospitals to towns. So that uh, obviously we had to discuss that for a while, but we ultimately agreed to it. And there are other small changes, but um, those were the main ones. Well, Neil, let's dive into the meat of the law a little bit. Um, this nonprofit hospital property tax bill, or A1135, as it's been called, uh, going through session. Um, let's start with what type of property or property owner is subject to the new law? So this refers uh, specifically to a nonprofit hospital. Uh, I'm sorry, nonprofit general acute care hospital. Um, that's important in case you're a specialty hospital or rehab hospital. And, and uh, you know, according to your state's definition uh, of licensure uh, for uh, a general acute care hospital, that's important. But for our purposes, uh, for New Jersey's purposes, a nonprofit general acute care hospital. Um, so it's, it's that building and any uh, other building that's utilized by the nonprofit hospital solely for hospital purposes. Um, as I mentioned previously, if it's a for-profit medical provider, it has to be exclusive um, to that hospital. Uh, who does this apply to in, in all practicality? It's your ER groups that maybe you contract with. Um, maybe you have an anesthesiology group or wing, cardiology, uh, you know, all the wrap services, uh, pathology, uh, those that may have a four, uh, within your hospital, maybe it's uh, an attached wing of your hospital, but this is an important point of clarification um, because this, is this had stalled the bill as well. Um, if you have, let's say, uh, a for-profit medical provider group that is uh, renting space or attached to the hospital uh, or attached to the hospital and renting space, um, and they provide some assistance to patients from the hospital. So if it's a cardiology group, and let's say they do 40% of services for the hospital, but they have 60% of patients come, um, you know, as walk-ins, they would not, that part of that wing, uh, that building would not receive a property tax exemption. They would still require, they would still be required to pay property taxes. Um, the normal arrangement, you know, is through the lease, you know, agreement with the hospital, so we made it very clear it has to be pretty much what well, has to be 100% of what that group does is for the hospital purpose. It also, um, um, if you have a, <laughs> if you have a McDonald's, if you have a Starbucks within, you know, your hospital, um, that will remain taxed. Um, usually, again, uh, it's done between the lease agreement with the facility. Uh, that will not change. A cafeteria, uh, however, um, would fall under the property tax exemption. Okay. So if you have an exemption, you qualify, you're a, a general acute care hospital, um, you qualify for exemption, but there's also this element of a community service contribution. What does that mean and what, and, and what does that look like? Sure. So um, because of the statute uh, that we were dealing with about the um, inability for any for-profit activity to occur in a nonprofit entity to get your property tax exemption, we recognize that with for-profit activity occurring in these hospitals that we needed to modernize 
the law. Um, you know, it could be those groups that I mentioned previously, or it could be, you know, a, a, a specialist that has privileges in a hospital, whatever it may be, uh, at least in New Jersey, there are for-profit um, uh, entities working in a nonprofit entity, and it, it puts our statute in jeopardy. So recognize that, recognizing that things have changed, what we agreed to um, was that in exchange for, I guess, the codification um, or update to our property tax exemption, we would pay a fee to the town um, because we are also getting bigger. Um, we are utilizing more municipal services. Um, so as a recognition, and actually just from the get-go, trying to be a good player um, with the towns and not just try to railroad through something, um, we thought we would try to find that, that fair balance. And that 250 at the time, uh, the co contribution would be $2.50 per bed per day to each town. Um, I will note that you are, as a hospital, able to deduct any agreements that you already have. We call them voluntary agreements. Most people know them as pilots. Uh, we stayed away from the, the word pilot because there's a strict definition in New Jersey statute um, that may have, you know, brought on issues uh, after this became law. So we just called them voluntary agreements, voluntary uh, arrangements. So if uh, your obligation of now it's up to $3 per bed per day is $500,000 to your town, you have an agreement for $300,000 each year, you know, maybe to pay for a public nurse in the school system, redo a park, whatever it might be, or just general money. Um, you're able to deduct that $300,000 from that $500,000. Therefore, you would owe $200,000 a year. It would never go reverse if your agreement is more than uh, the requirement here. You can't obviously deduct that. Um, but that, that was, again, a good faith effort uh, by us. Um, we just wanted to turn the spigot off of all these uh, lawsuits, put something in there that was fair, that the towns would get something and then we wouldn't be spending, um, you know, money on legal fees. So that that was the purpose of um, the community contribution that we thought it was important to be a good partner um, with our towns. That makes sense. And Neil, I mean, this applies to a lot of hospitals. I know, I know you you gave a couple of you know specific examples and some sort of uh, variations of the general acute care hospital. But I mean, there are that's a majority of New Jersey's acute care hospitals will probably fall into the ambit of this statute. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Um, we have 59 nonprofit hospitals and 71 acute care hospitals. Okay. So are there any carve outs uh, from the ambit of the statute or other clarifications um, that, that we should be aware of in terms of how this shook out? Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's important um, to uh, understand kind of your for-profit medical providers, the buildings associated with your nonprofit hospital, how it's uh, structured under your license. I think that's very important. Um, so I did talk about that, but I, I will say we did get um, an additional carve out. We have a specialty uh, uh, cardiac hospital uh, in New Jersey that doesn't bill patients. They have a special uh, OIG opinion from the federal government to have this exemption, not to, for example, go after Medicare patients for balanced billing. So uh, we, we did insert a section in there that exempted them and that actually made it into the uh, into final law. Um, so let's say other than that, you know, no other real 
carve outs, no, you know, no hoodwinking that we were trying to do. You know, we tried to be as transparent as possible where we needed the clarification, like I said, on uh, offsite for-profit medical providers and whether we're going to, you know, buy them up and, and switch to property tax status. We made it very, very crystal clear that that wasn't the intention. Um, but it was very important to us on the for-profit medical provider to get that exemption you know, for the emergency department, for example, if you have a for-profit medical group, if you have, you know, the third floor of your hospital has a cardiology group, that needs to be exempted. Um, so other than that, it, it's pretty, it's pretty straightforward with, again, nonprofit general acute care hospitals. Mm -hmm. So Neil, as I read this statute and I, and I've read now a number of them from other states, I find it to be pretty comprehensive in terms of um, it's pretty you know, clear about its scope. It's pretty clear about how it applies and how it works. There are two things that caught my eye though as potential um, wrinkles, I guess you could say, in terms of how this is going to be implemented. One of them is that there's language requiring the New Jersey Healthcare Facilities Financing Authority and the Director of the Division of Local Government Services to adopt regulations to effectuate the bill. Um, where do you see that going? And, um, and it sounds like it has to be done within four months following enactment and which, you know, may or may not end up taking place, but any thoughts on, on the regulatory aspect of this? Sure thing. And um, I think it, it's good for listeners to consider that uh, in their own state. Um, you know, a lot of times when we have legislation, uh, you know, going into the law, there, there is a requirement for the promulgation of regulations but it's very clear, um, you know, from previous experience that a statute is a statute. So you can't, you still have to implement it. It's still the letter of the law, even if regulations don't come. So you're correct. There, there needs to be regulations within four months. I doubt that our department will meet that deadline. It's been very difficult uh, previously. And then of course, you know, we're still trying to get out of COVID and a lot of other things um, that are affecting the, you know, the work of the department. So I, I personally do not expect them to meet that four month deadline. However, uh, what was important to us and maybe, you know, another consideration for your list is to make, you know, make the language as specific as you can. Um, and even some of these um, provisions need further clarification. You know, after six years, we, we tried our best to make it as clear as possible, but we still need, a, you know, some guidance on a few things from the various departments. But we, we did make a conscious effort to uh, make it as specific as possible so that once the bill was signed into law, we knew what to expect. Our members certainly knew what to expect following this for, for years and most of the towns as well. Um, so I, I do think they'll get to regulations eventually. Um, but right now we're just kind of moving forward with our interpretation of the law until we get that guidance. So Neil, the other, the other wrinkle, if you will, that I identified as I was reading it was there's a nonprofit hospital community service contribution study commission, which is set up, um, which has as its goal, sort of looking at the financial impact, analyzing, analyzing the financial impact on affected hospitals and municipalities, um, among other things. And I guess, again, as an observer from another state and who represents clients in additional states, um, 
I think it's really interesting. I, I, I will really be curious to see how the, the uh, study commission reports shake out and, and what is found. But could you give me a little bit more color to why that was in there and what the goal of it is? Yeah, um, it, you and me both. I'm interested to see what they come up with. Um, you know, we thought, um, again, because a lot of this language was actually taken from our original bill, um, that went forward in 2015, and the purpose of this bill, um, originally, and I guess it still is, uh, was to you know provide a stopgap, to you know um, put a pause on a lot of the the legal suits because no one has really examined you know the role of healthcare entities, hospitals in particular, um, and how it relates to property taxes. New Jersey, by the way, has the highest property tax rate in the nation um, because we for a variety of reasons. So property taxes is a very, uh, um, you know, interesting phrase here. Uh, so uh, we needed, you know, some experts to kind of sit down and, and take a, a view of the changing landscape of healthcare, changing landscape of towns and property taxes. So that was the purpose, you know, at the time, the 250 now $3 uh, contribution was meant as a stopgap. You know, we knew that we needed to start paying something uh, to municipalities. And by the way, it's pretty much, it's about 20 to $21 million a year annually, collectively in New Jersey. Um, but we want this um, commission to, you know, review everything. And if they say, you know what, $3 is too low, we're going to have to swallow that and accept it. Um, luckily, you know, we have some good representation. One of the amendments that the governor's office asked for you know, is, is some additional person from the governor's office to sit on ex officio. So we, you know, um, I, I do think this will be uh, helpful in understanding uh, kind of as we move forward. However, one thing I neglected to ma uh, mention about the community contribution fee is that each year it goes up uh, with an inflator of uh, 2%. So at minimum, it goes up 2% um, moving forward. So Again, for, for the hospitals that are listening, it, this might sound like a good deal for the towns, you know, even though they lobbied against, against it. But this bill and this, this law is essentially the floor of what hospitals must pay. Things will always continue to go up. Um, so we needed to make sure the study commission was there. Um, but at the same time, it, was, it, it is balanced. So it's not, uh, you know, uh, swayed one way or the other. But, but Joel, kind of to your question about regulations, when that's going to come. I know there's strict deadlines for this, but um, it's possible that this doesn't, you know, meet in the time frame that to put in the bill. So, Neil, let's turn to the subject of sort of the effect or the fallout, if you will, both positive and potentially negative, of the of the legislation. I think, in some ways, beauty is in the eye of the beholder, but. Kathy Bennett, who's the president and CEO of the New Jersey Hospital Association, seemed overall positive about the new law in, in, in the news reports that I read. Um, she said it was the right solution. And um, I do think that, I mean, just my personal opinion is that NJHA has, has done a great job of, of taking into account the various perspectives here and coming up with a solution that is equitable, but also, you know, is puts New Jersey hospitals in, in, in your, your membership in a better position than they were, um, you know, for the past five, six years and maybe more. 
Um, do other healthcare leaders and community organizations feel the same way about the bill or what, what, what's sort of the anticipated effect? Sure. So I'm um, not, we were very, um, as a, an association, and by the way, we we represent all the hospitals in New Jersey. Um, I know that that's somewhat unique, uh, in many States. So it's, um, so there's not members, they're sort of everybody. They're everybody. Okay. Um, yeah. So we have a for-profit nonprofit that adds up to 71 hospital members. We have 250 to 275 post-acute specialty care type of uh, uh, maybe not core members, but affiliated members, business members, et cetera. So it, we count over 400 members uh, in our membership, but of course our core membership is mostly general acute care hospitals, for-profit and nonprofit, but we also have some behavioral health facilities and, and other post-acutes that are core members. Um, but to your point, uh, everyone, uh, all the non, all the acute care hospitals supported this. Membership completely supported this. You know, um, it was difficult at times, you know, going from 250 to $3 to make sure everyone's, you know, comfortable with that. Um, I should note, and I won't name, but there was one health system that had four hospitals in New Jersey that had no pending litigation that wasn't very happy with it. Um, they were fine with NJHA pursuing, and they were absolutely great partners in it, but they just made it clear that they, um, didn't support it. It would mean over a million dollars to them each year that they are, they would have to pay. There are other categories of members who may not have had lawsuits, but also knew that they could be next and um, were supportive. Um, I, I think it was also uh, supported by maybe not very publicly, but you know, nursing home associations, home health associations, others that were nonprofits but thought that maybe they could be next. Um, educational institutions uh, also uh, were supportive. Uh, we got um, the council, the Center for Nonprofit uh, Hospitals, or center, sorry, Center for Nonprofits in New Jersey uh, to be supportive because of the kind of the uh, snowballing effect um, that could happen uh, watching what would happen to our hospitals. So we did have some kind of ancillary support. And really the only, the only opposition was, um, the advocacy group that represented the towns, um, you know, it kind of depends on your perspective. Uh, they were making a case to their mayors that hospitals needed to be taxed 100% of the market rate. Um, we believe that we shouldn't have need to pay anything, um, but at least we came up with a compromise um, that pays something, again, over $20 million a year. The other side just fought it and wanted, you know, uh, full payment. So I think in general, just to sum up, I think in general, uh, a lot of the healthcare leaders understood this was important, important to get this codification, even those um, who are, you know, advocacy groups for patients, et cetera, knew that we were spending money um, on legal fees. And as a nonprofit, you have to report to your board, you have certain, you know, community um, benefit requirements. So they knew we could put that money back into care. So um, I'm glad we got this done. And I think we had, you know, the right amount of support. So Neil, maybe to close here, I'm curious as well, you mentioned um, the towns and, and, and the, the advocacy against this effort, um, which sort of surprises me in some ways since the, the, the legis or the, you know, the um, statute previously allowed for exemption and it really wasn't until Morristown that that was even in question. But what, what is the anticipated effect 
on legislation, uh, excuse me, on litigation that was ongoing at the time that this was signed, or maybe in, you know, has really everything that's kind of come out since Morristown, what will happen with that litigation? And, um, you know, what do you see there happening? That's a very, it's a very good question. I'm, I'm, and I'm, I'm happy to be able to, to explain this a little bit. Um, and again, every state's different, um, but I think there might be some uh, crossover on this, uh, on this statement. But um, with the legislation being signed into law, um, it provides the, you know, codifies our property tax exemption. It refines the, you know, statute for um, the exemption, as I mentioned before, requires the community contribution fee. However, everyone must meet, everyone must remember the separation of powers between the executive branch and the judicial branch. So yes, um, the statute will go into effect, but it cannot throw out the lawsuits and the litigation that's currently taking place between towns and hospitals. That's the, the legal interpretation from our council. However, in all practical sense, since we only have three or four tax court judges and our council has been the ones representing most of the hospitals, she has told us that every judge has been looking at the progress of the legislation and are, and they are going to point to the legislation as kind of the solution. So um, for those of you who are you know, maybe counsel or you know, um, are looking at it from a legal sense, it's important to understand that just because you pass a law, it doesn't necessarily mean it overturns a tax court decision, um, but it, it will be very influential um, in making their decisions. So if you're thinking about going our route, and trying to make lemon, uh, lemonade out of lemons and just kind of dealing with, you know, a bad situation that was put in front of us. Um, I would encourage you as you go through the legislative process to also think about how you can make sure um, the judicial branch is aware of what you're trying to do um, before moving forward. Well, thanks so much for your time and expertise, Neil, and congratulations on getting this bill finally negotiated and signed into law. Um, where can our listeners go to learn more about the law or uh, about your work at NJHA? Sure. Uh, no, and, and thank you for having me. Um, NJHA, NJHA.com. Please visit us. We have a lot of different uh, things that are available um, for non-members, uh, non-password protected that you can visit. Uh, my email is niker at NJHA.com. Always feel free to send me a note. Again, it's niker at njha.com. Um, happy to talk about this. This was six years in the making. Happy that it's done. Still more to do. But um, yeah, I'd be happy to, to talk to anyone who would, you know, who wants to uh, learn more about this. Great. Well, thanks again, Neil. And thanks to our listeners for joining us today. If you like this podcast, then please subscribe and leave feedback for us using your Apple or Android device. And if you're interested in more content on healthcare real estate, we also publish a newsletter called the Healthcare Real Estate Advisor. If you'd like to be added to the list, please email me at jswider, J-S-W-I-D-E-R, at hallrender, H-A-L-L-R-E-N-D-E-R.com. <laughs>